This episode includes depictions of graphic violence and death. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story of the Vitala. Today's episode combines features from a number of South Asian legends for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today we explore a new cavern to find another monstrous bat. The Vitala is a spirit who appears in Hindu and Tibetan texts, dating back to the medieval era. But you may know him best as the creature who played a part in inspiring Bram Stoker's Dracula, a witty, wall-crawling monster that can torture you with his razor-sharp fangs or his mind. This is Mythical Monsters Bats. Coming up, the Vitala raises the dead to say hello. There are various kinds of monsters that carry the name Vitala. The bat-like creatures are largely based in Hindu and Tibetan legend, and they're all dangerous in their own way. The first version of the Vitala comes from the Vitala Tales, a collection of children's stories from the 11th century. In this version, the Vitala, also commonly known as Batal, is a cunning figure. He reanimates corpses, sometimes hiding inside them. When a necromancer sends the legendary King Vikrama to capture the bat, Betal stalls Vikrama with riddles and tales. The Vitala eventually convinces Vikrama that the magician is the evil one, not him. Then the king and monster team up to kill her. British imperialist explorer Richard Francis Burton wrote a very loose adaptation of the Vitala tales in 1870. This is where we meet the second Vitala, a vampiric undead creature with pointed ears, wings, and a tail. It was Burton's version that seems to have made its way to Bram Stoker, the creator of Dracula. Stoker had a fascination with both Egypt and India. Many scholars believe that Burton's vampiric Vitala inspired Dracula's monstrous wall-crawling form. This westernized version of the Vitala made its way back to India. In the modern day, he appears as a zombifying spirit in Bollywood horror films, a blend of old and new, colonizer and colonized. But it doesn't matter which Vitala you get, you don't want to meet any of them on a dark and stormy night. It was raining when Viola went to meet her father. The Thames was choked with ashen gray steamships. Her headmistress, Miss Crewe, held her hand very tightly, as if she feared Viola would run straight off the dock in excitement. 
She needn't have worried. Viola was frozen in anticipation. She only remembered her father in bits and pieces, bouncing on his lap while he typed, trying to walk to him on toddling legs. Illness had taken her mother 10 years ago, and the East India Company had taken her father just after that. In his letters, Lieutenant Lambton always told Viola that he'd been stationed in India the same way she'd been stationed at boarding school. Their term would be over soon, and then they could be together. He'd written that every day for 10 years. But finally, finally, she was going to see him. The officers poured off the ship in a long line of tan and red. The porters lining the quay battled for their attention. The crowd parted. Viola's heart leapt. Papa! She cried and ran into his arms. He adjusted her weight so he could put down the rather large case in his right hand. Careful, dearest, precious cargo. He looked down, studying her face. God, you look so much like your mother. Miss Crewe caught up to them. I trust your journey from Bombay was safe and uneventful, Lieutenant Lambton. He laughed warily as he summoned a porter. About as uneventful as a trip through the Suez can be, but thank you for asking. If Viola's things have been sent to the house, I'll take it from here. Miss Crewe nodded. Yes, we sent them over today. Have a lovely time. She looked down at Viola, who was still clinging to her father like a ship's mast in a storm. Be good, Miss Lambton. As you were taught, you're the lady of the house now. With that, she was gone. Lieutenant Lambton carefully untangled himself from Viola's embrace. I need to carry the typewriter, sweetheart. He picked up the case and nodded to the porter. Viola reached out her hand to take his, but he walked away before she could catch him. At least they were going to the same carriage. Viola reacquainted herself with her father's household staff as he disappeared into his office, carrying the mysterious case. She tried to follow, but the housekeeper, Mrs. Burnett, intervened. He's getting situated, dear. He'll be down for dinner. But he wasn't down for dinner, or to say goodnight. Mrs. Burnett handled it herself, helping Viola pull the covers up to her chin. He's just tired, dear. Don't worry. This house reminds him of your mother. Viola pursed her lips. But what is he doing in there? Mrs. Burnett sighed. Mm, I haven't the slightest, my dear. Sleep tight. She dimmed the lamp and closed the door. Viola stared at the ceiling for a long time. She listened to the street outside her house, intermittent echoing footsteps fading in the soft rain. When the world had gone completely quiet, she heard it. A rhythmic tapping like the beat of her heart. She crept out of bed and into the carpeted hallway. The sound came from her father's office, the click-clacking of a typewriter. She knocked softly on the door. The typing stopped and the door creaked open. Her father looked dazed. Viola, what time is it? Past bedtime, but you should sleep too, Viola said. Lieutenant Lambton shook his head as if woken from a dream. Yes, of course, but I must finish. I must. <laughs> 
I just had a few more words to... He trailed off, drawing towards the desk again. Viola called after him, What are you writing? Her father sat down in his chair again. It's a tale from India, not appropriate for young girls. Viola gave him a pleading look. I'm a young lady now, Papa. I'm 13. Please, it must be very good for you to work so hard. He ran his fingers through his must hair. All right, but then to bed. If you can sleep, I should say. It's a monster story. Viola sat down in the chair in front of his desk, and he began. The Hindus burn their dead, and they do it quickly, for if they don't, a vitala may be made. The rotting tissue bends and shifts until it has the wrinkled face and leathery wings of a fruit bat. Then it takes to the air, lurking in cemeteries in search of prey. Sometimes it possesses other corpses, transforming them into hideous monsters. Other times it tears your flesh with its poisonous talons. It can raise the dead and... Lieutenant Lambton blinked. This is not an appropriate story for young ladies. You must go to bed, Viola. She opened her mouth to protest, but he didn't give her the chance. I shall go to bed too, I promise. Viola let her father walk her back to her room and tuck her in. He gave her a kiss on the head and stepped to the door. I'm sorry, dearest. I'm out of practice. He bent his head low. Your mother used to do this, but I'll learn, I promise. He gave her a sheepish smile. Then he left closing the door behind him. Viola tried to sleep, really she did, but then she heard the tapping again. He'd promised he would rest. Her mother wasn't around to make sure he'd take care of himself. That was what the lady of the house did. Viola got up and went back to the office. Viola knocked, but no one answered. Cautiously, she pushed open the door. There was no one there. The lights were off. The typewriter was still. The shadows felt darker than they should be. She stepped carefully into the room. Papa? There was silence. Then a soft clicking. That's what she had heard, like a bat. Viola squinted at the darkest shadow in the room. Two green eyes opened, watching her. She froze, terrified. The clicking began again. It was coming from the shadow. A wide grin grew just above the green eyes. The creature was upside down. A deep, warm laugh came from the darkness. (laughs) So you're the distraction. Viola. You kept him from his work. Now you will make it up to me. Coming up, Viola plays a very dangerous game. Hi, I'm Christine Schiefer. And I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast, And That's What We Drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about. Not to join, but, you know, to, to learn and educate. 
<laughs> Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the Fountain of Youth? Address, please. <laughs> Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Viola backed up so quickly, her spine hit the glass front of the bookcase. The Vitala, the creature from her father's story, was real, and it was here, hanging upside down in front of her. The rustle of a tree outside allowed a sliver of moonlight to sneak in the window. Viola caught sight of the Vitala's long claws, clinging to the beam above. A viscous liquid glinted on its slick talons. It tilted its wrinkled, bat-eared head so far to the left that it was almost looking at her right side up. Tell me, Viola, what do you know about me? Viola's mouth opened, but she was so frightened that her mind had gone blank. You, uh, come from corpses. Your claws are poison. The Vitala's wings twitched in annoyance. The shadows seemed to shiver around him. Yes, yes, but your father left out the most important part. I love stories, you see. Your father was so very close to finishing my tale, so I let him go home. But now you're distracting him, keeping him from his work, so you both must pay the price. Viola wanted to scream, but her throat was hoarse. She'd just gotten her father back. She couldn't lose him again. Please, it's not his fault. I can make it up to you. I'll do anything. I can write it. The Vitala cocked its head at her again. No, no, no one will listen to you. The book would not sell. You'd be far more useful as food. He paused. But... Perhaps you can entertain me some other way. A riddle game. You can do that, yes? Viola didn't really have a choice. I... I can. What are the stakes? The Vitala laughed. (laughs) Stakes? I already said I'd delay eating you and your father, you ungrateful creature. He swung closer to her. Mold and rot mottled his long, wrinkled face. How about this? If you play well, I won't drain all the blood from your body and make your corpse walk about for my amusement. Viola tried and failed to keep her voice steady. If I win, you leave us alone. You let my father be happy. The Vitala laughed again. Your father will never be happy, not with your mother gone. Pain and regret welled up inside her, and the words came out before she could stop them. Well, bring her back then. The Vitala smacked its lips, clicking in contemplation. Hmm, now that is interesting. You did pay attention to what I can do, didn't you? You're growing on me, Viola Lambton. Yes. If you impress me, not only will I let you live... I'll bring your dear mother back. Viola nodded slowly, 
Her situation was impossible enough already. Why not add a resurrection to the mix? The Vitala adjusted its hold on the beam. Now that we are acquainted, you may call me Betal. Viola's heart pounded in her chest. All right, Betal, you start. Betal winked at her with one glowing green eye. This will be a little different from your English riddle games. You're not going to stump me, and I am not trying to stump you. You must answer my riddles well. When I am impressed, you will have what you wish. Viola couldn't help crossing her arms. That doesn't seem fair. That means it's entirely up to you. How will we know if I've won if I don't get a turn? Betal let out a series of quick clicks. Viola swore she could feel the shadows closing in around her. Do not dictate terms to those who can kill you. Shall we begin? Viola swallowed. Yes. Betal went back to being perfectly pleasant. What is as large as an elephant but weighs nothing? Viola knew this one, albeit with a lion rather than an elephant. An elephant's shadow. What's next? She had expected Betal to be upset, his plans foiled. Instead, he looked amused. He grinned, offering his next riddle. I chop off ten heads, but no killing was done, no blood shed. What have I done? This was a little harder. Viola brought her fingers to her mouth. She always bit her nails when she was reasoning out a problem. Then she looked down at them. Fingernails! You've cut your fingernails! Betal's smile widened. He gave her another. What do man and wheat share? Viola blinked. She was a city girl. She'd never seen wheat outside of the market on Sundays, and nobody she knew bought ears of grain on their own. Ears, she realized. They both have ears. Betal nodded excitedly, which looked very strange when he was upside down. A wet glob of something dripped from his fangs. It burned the carpet before fizzling out. He spoke again. When the wind blows, her spirit grows. If she drinks, she dies. To touch her is to lose her, and with great cost to you. Viola paused. That sounded too familiar, too painful. She remembered her mother coughing, leaving blood on white linen. Only the wind had made her feel better, but there had been no clean air in the city. She wouldn't leave her family to head to Bath or some other place. Towards the end, the doctors hadn't wanted Viola anywhere near her. The vapors, they said. Her mother's vapors would kill Viola. Betal's hungry eyes glittered in the dark. What's your answer, Viola? Tears clung to Viola's throat. Her mind raced. The answer wasn't woman. That was implied by she. Her mother was too personal an answer. She didn't want to share that with anyone, even if it meant her death. But there was nothing else. This was the end. I'm sorry, Betal. I... I don't know. She braced for the creature's claws. But they didn't come. Instead, Betal clapped the tips of his wings together. Very good, Viola. Very good. You did well. 
Viola couldn't believe her luck. I did? Betal stretched his wings. I didn't think you'd get past the fingernails, but you did marvelously. You were very entertaining, and you should be very proud. Perhaps in a decade or two, I'll have you write a story about me. But now, I'll give you what you want. Viola couldn't believe it. Really? Betal crawled along the wall, stopping at the windowsill. He looked out into the night, clicking contentedly to himself. She followed him. Wait, what was the answer? Betal looked back at her with a lopsided smile. Fire, Viola. The answer was fire, which is also how I'll raise your mother. Be good, I shall return. He leapt from the window. Viola heard the rush of wind as his wings extended, wider than a horse and carriage. He blocked out the moon for a moment before disappearing into the night. Viola braced herself on the window frame to catch her breath. It felt like a dream. She couldn't have really seen a winged corpse hanging from the ceiling. The longer she thought about it, the more her mind cleared, and the more frightened she became. She couldn't trust a creature like that, could she? A beast who had followed her father from another continent to force him to tell its story. With each word, the Vitala had bent him further to its will, changed him. And Betal had changed her too, hadn't he? Why had she asked him to bring back her mother? Had she even wanted to? A knock at the door interrupted Viola's thoughts. Soft at first, then louder. Viola flinched with every sound. It couldn't be. It couldn't be. She peeked out the window and into the street. Someone stood in the shadow on the doorstep, clad in black crinoline, her face covered by a dark veil. Mother was home. Coming up, Betal's surprise comes upstairs. Now back to the story. Viola's knuckles were white as she held onto the windowsill, watching her late mother knock on their door. Some part of her wanted it to be true. If she didn't move, if the figure didn't come any closer, Viola could imagine her mother was alive. Her father would come down the stairs too. They'd melt into each other's embrace and be a family again. The knocking got louder. It was a wonder she hadn't roused the whole house, yet no one stirred. Maybe this was part of Betal's magic. Perhaps Viola had to be the one to greet her mother. Perhaps it was like Orpheus and Eurydice, and she only needed to have faith to make her mother live again. Every ounce of her being begged her to turn back, but Viola descended the staircase anyway. Viola gripped the handle of the door and tugged it open. The woman's black-gloved hand froze, as if she was still wrapping on invisible wood. Mama? The woman didn't move. Mama? Viola asked again. It's me. I'm all grown up. The woman's dark lace veil swayed with her breath. Viola stepped back to let her mother in. 
The stiff fabric swished as she stepped over the threshold. There you go, Mama, Viola said. She tried to remember Miss Crewe's hospitality lessons. Can I take your cloak? Her mother reached up slowly. She undid the ribbon at the front of her cape, letting it fall into Viola's arms. Viola folded it gently. It smelled of mold and grave dirt. Viola's mother tugged at the fingers of her gloves, one by one. She exposed sickly green skin, mottled with decaying veins. Each of her fingers ended in ivory white talons. They glistened like betals, poison. Viola edged towards the stairs. Her mother reached towards her. Viola flinched. Sorry, Mama, I would embrace you. I just haven't seen you in a while. She took one more careful step towards the stairs. She didn't know where she was going. It just needed to be away from here. Her mother reached up to her veil. Slowly, slowly, she lifted it. Her lips were blackened and charred. Sparks flew from inside her mouth. There were bat-like folds around her nose. Dried blood crusted on her cheeks. She lifted the veil further still, revealing dead eyes. For her whole life, all Viola had wanted was for her parents to be together again. She wanted to know her mother, to remember her, but not like this. She shrieked and ran up the stairs, calling for help. No one answered. She sprinted down the hall and into her father's office. Betal, Betal, I take it back. Please send her away. The shadows darkened. That is not how wishes work, Viola Lambton. She could hear heavy footsteps climbing the stairs. They echoed through the landing and the hallway. Her mother's silhouette darkened the doorway. Viola's eyes darted around the room. There had to be something she could do, something to fight the Vitala with, to force him to send Viola's mother back to her grave, something he wanted. Her eyes went to the pages on the desk and the dying fire in the grate. She grabbed the manuscript and ran to the fireplace. She held it over the flames. I'll do it, send her away. Betal let out a screech. You wouldn't. Viola set her jaw, willing herself to be brave. I would, send her away. Betal twisted upwards. The tips of his wings gripped the rafters. He crawled across the ceiling at terrifying speed. Viola's mother lurched towards her, pale talons outstretched. Viola threw the pages in the fire. Betal screamed. No, no, stop, stop! The pages bent and curled in the heat, but her mother and Betal kept coming. Viola didn't know what to do. The manuscript was cinders. Maybe she'd miscalculated. Then she saw the single page sitting in the typewriter. Betal rushed towards her, fangs bared. She spun away from her mother's talons and snatched the paper from the desk. She tossed it into the fire. The flames caught. Betal slipped on the ceiling, barely hanging on. He squeaked in rage and agony. Her mother thrashed, screaming without sound. 
fire erupted from her mouth, spreading across her body until she collapsed, leaving only ash behind. Viola looked up at the ceiling. Betal folded into himself, getting smaller and smaller as the pages twisted and curled into nothingness. A sound broke through the din. Viola, what's happening here? She turned to see her father in the doorway. His dressing gown was disheveled. He was bleary-eyed in the firelight. Are you all right? Papa, she cried, looking up again. The ceiling was empty. There was no ash on the carpet. What had happened? Her father looked at his desk. Viola, where's my manuscript? Viola's mouth opened and closed. The Vitala, he, he was here, and Mama. Her father stepped closer. Did you have a nightmare? She protested. No, no, Betal was here. He made Mama a monster, so I had to stop him. And I burned your book, and I'm sorry, but it had to stop. He stepped even closer, hands balled into fists. Viola was certain he was going to punish her, but then he pulled her into an embrace. Oh, Viola, it's all right. Viola wept in her father's arms. I'm sorry, Papa. I'm so sorry. I know it's important to you, but it was wrong. It's all right, dearest, her father said, rubbing her back. Don't worry. He sighed deeply, resolved. I'll start a new draft tomorrow. The evolution of the Vitala is a study in both appropriation and assimilation. The British stole from a centuries-old legend to change the face of horror as we know it. They used old stories to create a new invention, the foreign, wall-crawling vampire. In its original Hindu context, the Vitala teaches the value of courage and wit in the face of terror. It's a beast that can be tamed rather than destroyed. Sir Richard Burton's version uses that, but he also makes the monster creepier, darker, and more dangerous. He takes it from macabre helper spirit to vampiric demon. In part, he does this by melding the Vitala with the Eastern European vampire, but he's also playing into the cultural othering that sits at the heart of Orientalism. Colonial images of Asian and Middle Eastern cultures interpret nearly all religious practices as occult. And in large part, it's the simple fact of the Vitala's foreignness that made it truly frightening to English audiences. It represented an element of Indian culture that could not be controlled or even contained. Perhaps Stoker and Burton's readers feared that the monster would do to them what they did to India. They knew the dead had every reason to rise up and transform into vengeful bats. And if they did, could they be stopped? Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. 
Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Roche, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.